about the story of what God has done through his covenant for his people. And um, by the way, I'm Joe Davis. I'm the lead teaching pastor here at the Garden. And um, excited about today, what God has given us. Today, we're titling the message, Come and Listen to What He Has Done. How understanding what God does to keep his covenant can transform your life. Let me say that again. How understanding what God does to keep his covenant can transform your life. You know, we follow and we push for and we seek this miraculous, nebulous, subjective kind of goal of transformation in our life. Like, I want to change these things. Hopefully I can change this or one day I won't be this or one day I will do that. And, and so we look for ways to be transformed. We want to be set free from the bondage that we have in our lives from sin and broken relationships and addictions and things like that. And we want to be set free from bondage that has kept us from really understanding the joy of what it means to know God. And somehow we still have these inability to make big decisions that can really change our direction. And what we're going to look at today is the story of Joshua. I'm going to read you a passage from Joshua chapter 24, verse 1 through 15, and at the end, I'm going to put the last few verses on there, but listen to the story. To basically set the tone for you, Joshua has had it. Joshua's tired of the fact that the children of Israel, after all that God has done for them, are choosing even to worship other gods, they're turning their back on God, they're not being God's people, and he says, you guys are nuts. Here's what he says. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders and the heads and the judges and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord of God, the Lord God of Israel. And this is God speaking. Joshua is speaking for him. Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates River, and Terah the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. But then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river. I led him through the land of Canaan. I made his offspring money, or many, not money, many. I gave him Isaac. And Isaac I gave to Jacob and Esau. And Esau I gave the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And then I sent Moses. And then I sent Aaron. And I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it. And afterwards, I brought them out of Egypt. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to a sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried out to the Lord, he put darkness between, between you and the Egyptians, and he made the sea come under them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness a long time, and I fed you. Then I brought you out of the land of the Amorites, who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you. I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Bor, to come and curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you, so I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over to the Jordan and became to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites and the Perizzites, and the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Girgashites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. 
I got through them all. <laughs> and I gave them all into your hand. And I sent the hornets before you, which drove them out of the way. And the two kings of the Amorites, it was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not even labored. You had not even planted. There were no cities that you had built. You dwelled in these cities. You eat the fruit of the vineyards and the olive orchards that you did not plant. Now, therefore, because of all that, right? Look, look what all that God has done now, because of all that stuff, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day who you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites and whose land you dwell. But as for me in my house, it's a really easy call. Look what all he's done. I'm going with the Red Sea guy. I will serve the Lord. And Joshua really puts forth a rational plea, does he not? I mean, first of all, he says, Abraham worshipped other gods. And then I gave him faith. Remember that story? He gave Abraham faith. The scripture says, by faith, Abraham. And what is faith again? It's a gift. Abraham worshipped other gods. I gave him faith. And then God gave him Isaac. Remember, his wife was barren. Remember? And Isaac was born. And to Isaac he gave Esau and Jacob. And then Jacob's children end up in Egypt. And God sends Moses and Aaron. Remember the story about Moses? Crazy story, right? To, to rescue him from the slaughter of Pharaoh. Moses' mother puts him in a basket and he's floating down the river. And Pharaoh's daughter picks him up, adopts him, raises him in Pharaoh's house. And then Moses is the one to lead the Israelites, out of Egypt. He brought you out of Egypt, destroyed their army by parting a stinking ocean, for goodness sakes. And then he beat up a bunch of ites. <laughs> a ton of ites. A night here, bam, a night here, there. He was swapping away ites like flies. Big ites, too. Massive ites. He didn't need your weapons. He used nature since he's the creator and the king over it. Remember the hornets? Talked about the hornets. Remember the plagues? Remember the Red Sea? And even when they were in the wilderness, cloud by night or cloud by day, pillar of fire, and then manna, water from a rock. Hello? Who are you going to serve? He provided a rich land to you. You did not plant it. You didn't farm it. And you eat all the stuff off it because God gave it to you. So make a decision. But for me, only a fool would not serve the Lord after all this stuff he's done. So make your choice. I've given you the information. For me, Joshua, it's easy. It's God. So Joshua makes this rational plea. He says, hey, Jewish people, have you forgotten 
everything that this real God has done for you and you want to go back and worship the gods that Abraham worshipped before he had faith? That God never parted a sea. And then we see, by the way, this is what's interesting about this story. We see a similar setup by Paul. I'm going to read this passage to you. It's about three slides, so let's kind of bear with me. Here's what Paul says. Remember, the same kind of concept as Joshua. Joshua laying out all these things. Paul lays them out. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them that I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. That's great, isn't it? For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have, been received, but now have received mercy because of their... Did you hear this? You were disobedient to God, but now you receive mercy because of their disobedience. Talking about the nation of Israel. They receive mercy because of their disobedience. Talking about Gentiles receiving mercy. So they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that's because of the law, we talked about that last week, that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth and the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has seen his counselor? Or has given, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. So Paul goes forward and he sets up an airtight case when talking to Gentiles. First of all, we see in verse 25, God hardened Israel for your benefit. That's what he says in verse 25. <clears throat> oh, God could have just said, no, I'm just going to save Jews. But no, what God did instead was God allowed Israel, parts of Israel to be hardened so that the gospel would spread to the Gentiles. And then look what he does. God will use, God will bless Israel through the Gentiles. God uses the Gentiles, us, to complete the salvation of all of Israel. He says that in verse 26, so that all Israel will be saved. And we discussed this many times. Israel does not mean Jewish people. Paul makes it very clear. Not all that are Jewish are of Israel. He says that. The people who are of Israel are people of faith through Christ. He makes that indelibly clear. So he says God hardened some of the Jews so that Gentiles could receive Christ. And then through those Gentiles, he blessed the rest of the new Jewish nation, and so that all Israel, Jews and Gentiles, would be saved. And then next, he says the gifts and election of God, the calling, are irrevocable. Paul says, look, all this stuff is happening, this covenant that he made with Abraham, it's irrevocable. It can't be done away with. It can't be disqualified. 
no matter what happens, the covenant will be fulfilled. And what did Paul say the covenant was? That he would forgive their sins. Remember, we just read that. I will forgive, that's the covenant I make with my people, that I will forgive their sins. And that covenant is irrevocable. And Paul continues on with this case. You were disobedient, but God showed you mercy. Just like Israel became disobedient so that God could show them mercy, Gentiles became disobedient so God could show us mercy. And how, were we, how did we become disobedient? Because he consigned all to be disobedient. This doesn't mean that God says you have no choice but to sin. That's not what it means. What it means is this. God put forth the law. We talked about this in detail, did we not? The law says you are helpless. And you can't, you can't follow God. You can't come to God unless you first realize you're helpless. And what we said last week was the law left us helpless so we wouldn't be hopeless. And so God consigned all the disobedience because of the law so that you might receive mercy. And then Paul says, this stuff should basically blow your mind. Oh, the depths and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of knowing God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has given the gift to him that might be repaid? For from him all, for him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. And Paul says, listen, this is how the covenant has been taken from Israel to you, back to Israel, so that all of Israel could be saved. It's an amazing process, Paul says. I'm laying it out for you. And that's in Romans 11 to the end of the chapter. And so how should this affect us? Remember how it affected Joshua at the end? Joshua goes through this whole list. God did this, he's done this, he's done this, he's done this. You can do what you want. I'm following God. And Joshua had an emotional reaction, a consigned reaction that had no chance of being reversed because he knew what God had done with the covenant, through the covenant. And then Paul does this in Romans 11. And then in Romans 12, he says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, therefore being what he just talked about in Romans 11, because of all that stuff I just shared with you, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And I added, I added this translation on my own. Some versions say reasonable service. Some of them say spiritual worship. But a good translation can also be, which is the least you can do. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, which is the least you can do. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, and what is acceptable, and what is perfect. So what's the point of this today? Don't we want transformation? Don't we want to come to a place in our life where we are so motivated to say, I'm going to follow God, that things don't derail us anymore? I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about direction. Don't we want to be in a place where, yes, sometimes things happen, sometimes we make a mistake, but because of our motivation, because of what God has done, we have a direction in life, which is this. 
I'm not serving the gods beyond the river. I'm serving this God that parted the Red Sea, that hardened the Jews, that gave them mercy, and then blessed them through me, who was disobedient, who has given me this irrevocable covenant, which is that he will forgive me my sins. I'm following that God, and I am highly motivated. Don't we want that? Don't we want to get to the point, guys, where we feel like we're no longer just playing church? That there is a deep-seated, foundational rock of motivation that doesn't waver? You see, the key to transformation is mind renewal. See, look, how does he say be transformed? Do not be conformed, but be transformed how? By a big emotional experience. No, that's not what he says. Be transformed by really good preaching. No, that's not what he says. Although it should. I'm just, maybe not. Um, be transformed by really good worship music. No, that's not what he says. He says be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Guys, what is mind renewal? I'm going to tell you what it is. Looking at what happened with jo uh, Joshua and what Paul says, I believe mind renewal comes from the knowledge of covenant grace. See, emotion is not the catalyst for transformation. It is the byproduct. You follow what I'm saying? Emotion is not what you use to measure whether or not you've been transformed. Emotion is a byproduct of a mind renewal and a transformation. The decision that Joshua made was probably pretty emotional. He wasn't just saying, God did a lot of stuff. It's pretty cool. Me and my house, eh, we'll probably serve the Lord. <laughs> it's Tuesday, we'll serve the Lord. Joshua's response was emotional, visceral. You know, many churches today spend thousands of dollars, some of them hundreds of thousands of dollars. Their lighting, their seating, our production, our sermons, music, all of it seems to be geared toward trying to get a response. You follow what I'm saying? And we become so obsessed with these moments of response. And then we set these impossible expectations for worship to inspire us, to tap into our emotions so that we feel saved. The problem is our emotions can change by the hour. And then what happens is people carry this guilt sometimes about not having this transformational moment on a regular basis. And I've heard a phrase out there, on fire for Jesus. I don't even know what that means. I mean, you heard it. I want to be on fire for Jesus. Great. What's the checklist? I want to be too. I don't want to be, like, put out for Jesus. I want to be on fire. So what does it mean? Well, A, B. Can you give a concrete description? I mean, it's so subjective. And what begins to happen is our relationship with God can become, I'm not saying there's not a place for it, but the, our relationship with God becomes so subjective and so feeling-based and so experiential-based that we don't, we don't realize is that is not the core, that is not the key to being transformed. How you feel in a worship service, how you feel in a devotional time is not what is transforming you. 
It's the knowledge of what God has done and what God is doing to fulfill his irrevocable covenant to forgive your sins in your life. That's the knowledge that inspires. <clears throat> the process is laid out in, by Joshua. And so while people chase this saved feeling, thinking the genesis of it, the genesis of joy is somehow emotion or experience, what we know now is the true fuel for transforming behavior is understanding grace. Understanding God's covenant with us, understanding its history, understanding its cost. The process was laid out by Joshua and then by Paul. That process, when you look at the facts and you start learning those facts, that should cause mind renewal. The knowledge of the trail of the covenant, that's the part. The covenant from Abraham to Noah to Moses to David to Solomon to you. The details of how God keeps it should floor you. The details should astonish you. The details should amaze you. Paul said that. This should be a reasonable, logical catalyst for natural, sweeping, radical changes in your life. Now, can this happen after you've come to know Jesus? Yes. In fact, I would make the case it most likely will come maybe years after you have known Christ because knowledge gives understanding. So I'm not talking about your salvation. I'm talking about the process of your sanctification. And as you gain more knowledge and understanding of what God's covenant has done for you, what grace has done for you, as you gather in more information, as it transforms you, you begin to have an understanding of theology, about God's hand, and then you're inspired to worship which is a reasonable response. It's the reasonable service, the least you can do. See, Joshua, guys, listen to this. When Joshua said, as for me in my house, we'll serve the Lord, Joshua wasn't inspired by worship. Joshua was inspired to worship. Do you see the difference? Worship didn't inspire him. Worship was a result of the inspiration. Why? Because he understood details of what God had done. That is what inspired Joshua. That is what inspired Paul. And that is what it should inspire you. But to do that, you got to listen. You got to learn. You got to know details of God, what God is doing for us and what God is doing for you. See, our worship is a result of understanding the amazing covenant God has made with us and how he fulfills it. That's why Joshua was able to say, for me and for my house, it's an easy decision. The facts are overwhelming. It's about Jesus.